So it's exciting to be together and to continue to talk about discipleship. If there's one message we want you to get this fall, is that we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not just called to be Christians who show up at church at Christmas and Easter time or whatever. We're called to be disciples, to follow him every day. And as I was thinking about this morning's message, I got this picture in my head of the Olympic athletes, those teams that go and they they earn all these gold medals and they're just like the, the world's best athletes. They fight against each other all the way through until they're at the very top of their game. And sometimes when we think of the disciples in the Bible, we think that Jesus like pulled that kind of team together. That's not how it actually worked. He didn't ask for like superhumans. He asked for ordinary men and women like us who had flaws and difficulties and problems like us. And then he asked them to come with him on a journey. It was a three-year journey. They didn't know that at the time, but it was a journey of becoming his disciples. And so as we think about this, when Jesus chose his disciples and he wasn't looking for the cream of the crop, he was looking for real people who would be changed by his love, who would be changed by his message. So he somehow was drawn to these particular 12 as he began to build his church. And then he sent them out to communicate to others about his love and about his purposes and about who he was. And they had a message for the world. And hopefully you and I have responded to that message, is that Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. He wants you to follow him. He loves you. He desires to make something of your life. Even if your life was a big mess, he still wants you. You are not disqualified in any particular way. So I love the fact that Jesus took real people and turned them into disciples. Because that's what he's still doing on the earth today. Real people, ordinary people, people that have strengths but also weaknesses. People that are flawed in many ways are called to be disciples of Jesus. He's not looking for perfect people. The church is not made up of perfect people because there are no perfect people. We have a perfect God, a perfect Savior who calls us to just follow him. So you might wonder what Jesus sees in you when he called you to be a disciple. I wondered that. I think, why would you call me? That's like a shy little kid who couldn't even do like spelling bees in school because I was too nervous, too full of anxiety. I didn't want to have to spell a word in front of anybody. That's the kind of kid I was. And I think, well, why would Jesus call me? You know, I'm not, I'm not brave. I'm not, not courageous in any particular way. I'm just like an ordinary shy little kid. But God called me nonetheless. I think what we have to begin with is something that Pastor Jonathan preached on a few weeks ago. You have to remember it all begins with God loving you. God loves you just how you are. But he sees your potential for just who you will be. And so if we start there, despite our human weaknesses, if we base our life on the fact that God sent his son, he loved us so much, he sent his son into the world that we could enter into a relationship with Jesus and then with God, that ordinary people, people that aren't perfect in any way, could join him in a very extraordinary life, a life that has a whole other purpose, a whole other meaning, 
and a life that never ends. He calls it eternal life or abundant life. So Jesus' 12 original disciples were from all walks of life. If you look at the Gospels, you see there were fishermen, there was a political activist, there was a tax collector. They were common people. And they became uncommon leaders for a worldwide movement. That's a big deal. Jesus had the ability to take these common guys from all walks of life and make them into his team, his gold medal winning discipleship team, right? And they then faithfully brought the gospel to the next generation and to the next and to the next and to the next. We want to be like that. We want to be part of God's movement in this world. He didn't initially select anyone from a religious establishment, from a synagogue, from the temple, from the priesthood. He skipped over those people initially. I wonder why. Now, since we're part of a church, we need to answer that question. Why did he skip over the church people and go to the fishermen, tax collector, ordinary people on the street? Well, as I thought about that question, as I asked myself the question, I realized that sometimes our religious traditions get in the way. Our patterns, our our history in the church, our pride, our positions in the church get in the way. And then they block his ability to really change us and really find us like a soft putty in his hands, you know, like moldable and shapeable for him. Because we're like, well, wait a minute. We never did it that way before. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what I do in the church. I like to do this, not that. You know, we're not not pliable to him. When we've already established who we are in the church or in our religion, right, in our following after God. He wants people, in many ways, who would say, whatever you want, God. Whenever you want. You want to wake me up at 3 a.m. so we go for a a jog? Okay, we'll go at 3 a.m. You know, like if you're going to join one of these Olympic level teams, you do what the coach tells you to do. You eat what they tell you to eat. You sleep when they tell you to sleep. You stop eating some things you shouldn't be eating and you have to eat a whole bunch of healthy stuff. You have to change your lifestyle to accommodate your potential. Now, I want you to think about that on the spiritual level. We have to change our lifestyle to accommodate the spiritual potential that God has and knows is in you. So a coach chooses an athlete. They may be, you know, out of shape and everything, but they know, like, okay, that guy's about the right height. You know, she's got, you know, the the right kind of flexibility. You know, I I can do something with her or with him. God sees you and thinks the same thing. I can do something with her. I know exactly how to get her into shape to be the kind of disciple who makes disciples that I really need in this world so that I can reach the world with the gospel through them. So as we think about this, he sort of skipped over the religious people at first, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, this whole group of people. Now, eventually, they, a few of them got a clue. Nicodemus was one of them. And then it says in the book of Acts, many of them converted to Christ. But, if, but at first, that was not his first choice. So as we look at the passage this morning, and I've entitled this sermon, What Are You Looking For? You'll see in a moment. Turn to the Gospel of John. 
We've looked at Matthew a lot in the last several months, but now we want to look at John. John was another disciple who also wrote a gospel for us, the story of Jesus as he experienced it, as he remembered, helped along by the Holy Spirit. John recorded this for us. So in John chapter 1, we have a, a small passage we want to sort of take apart this morning because I think God wants to make a point in our lives that's very important as we think about discipleship as a church, as a community of believers. So if you see um, what's taking place here, there are some disciples of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist came a little bit before Jesus and began to preach about the kingdom and that the kingdom was coming and that repentance was necessary in order for the king to be received. You know, so there was a message going out through John the Baptist. Make straight the way, right? Make straight the way for the Lord because the Lord is coming. So, so make straight the way means like clear out the clutter, you know, make sure there's a path for him, make sure there's a place for him, you know, follow, follow through on that, right? So as, as he was preaching, people were drawn to that message as well. God was doing a work already by setting John the Baptist up as a, as a prequel for, for Jesus, right? But then what happens here, and John experienced this himself, is it says, um, John the Baptist, so not John the disciple, John the Baptist had some disciples. We'll start in verse 35, I guess, of chapter 1. And he had said to them that there, there is one coming, right? There is one coming, and, and he is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's not just going to baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Spirit. And I've seen and I've testified that this is the Son of God. So he says it right there. In verse 35, then it says, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist still. Standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by them, so Jesus was walking by, he said, Look, it's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they began to follow Jesus. So they got it, kind of, right? They understood that there's a transition taking place. There's something that, that, that's going on here with this Jesus guy, and we want to follow it. If he's the son of God, we want to figure out what that means. Here's the interesting part. So picture this. You know, they were with John the Baptist. Now they started following Jesus. Jesus turns around, and it says, when he noticed them following him, he says... What are you looking for? Good question for us and Jesus. Whenever there's a question, especially when it's recorded as coming out of Jesus' mouth, I want to meditate on that question. What am I looking for? I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What am I looking for? Have you asked yourself that question? Maybe not, but maybe you will today. You see, he asks this question because what Jesus does in this passage is he's laying out a question, and then he's initiating a discipleship lifestyle, and then he issues an invitation into it. So let's continue to read. So he says, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I guess they were looking for a hotel or a bed and breakfast or an Airbnb. Oh, by the way, where are you staying? 
Answering a question with a question is a little frustrating, right? Jesus wants an answer, and they ask another question. Where are you staying? Jesus says, come, and you'll see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John the Baptist and followed him. He first found his brother, his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And we'll stop there. This question, what are you looking for, is a very important question. And it is the first words, if you look at the Gospel of John, it's the first words that Jesus speaks in the book. He hasn't spoken yet. These are the first words, and his words are a question. So that makes them important. Because it is a good question for first-time disciples and for disciple-makers. In fact, if you're trying to disciple one, someone, you might want to take a note and ask them that question. Okay, we're in this discipleship relationship. You said you want to know more about Jesus. What are you looking for? Because the answer to that will reveal some things about some things that are in our heart. What's your motivation for wanting to follow Jesus? I think that needs to be discovered so that we can find out if you're following the right person, if you're here for the right reasons. Because if you're here for the wrong reasons, being a disciple might be very frustrating for you. You see, Jesus cuts straight to the heart, as he often does with his questions. The answer to this question for each of us needs to be or needed to be discovered. We may be looking for something that Jesus didn't promise to give us. Ooh. Maybe you're looking to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? And you want it all. You want everything this world has to offer, as well as everything in the next world. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Do you remember the guy that came to Jesus and he was very rich? And he appeared to be very good. He kept the whole law. So Jesus said, okay, well, yeah, you, you can follow me. But before, before you follow, just go and sell all that junk. <laughs> Get rid of all that stuff. And then come follow me. And what does it say? He became very sad. He couldn't let go of this world. The things, the wealth, the prosperity, the power that that brings. He couldn't let go of that. To follow the Messiah. He's not alone. Many people struggle with that as well. See, is it that I want to be a disciple so that I can feel accepted? Or that I can feel important? Or that I can have more friends? Or that I have a deep personal meaning to my life? Am I on a quest for truth? Am I seeking to be powerful? What are the questions? What are the answers to that question? What are we looking for? You see, this question, like all of Jesus' questions, it cuts through all the clutter and all the deception, and it renders us spiritually shell-shocked. Would you be able to answer, like if I, and I'm not going to, so don't panic, but if I said, turn to your neighbor, 
ask the question, what are you looking for? And listen to their answer. I'm not doing that, but I could, but I won't, right? But I want you to think about it. I want you to go to the Lord with that question. Maybe, maybe t- tonight or tomorrow in your quiet time, you can, you can put that in your journal. You all have journals, right? You can put that in your journal. You can put that in your notes and say, what am I looking for? Why am I following Jesus? You got to answer that question. To be a disciple. With laser-like precision, Jesus gets to the heart of his disciples. They avoided the question. They asked another question, but he was going for the heart, as he often does. You see, when when John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, their answer should have been, I want my sins paid for. Jesus has done that. We'll do that. Not where you're staying tonight. Where are we going? What's the trip going to be? Sorry about the microphone. It's being weird. Um. So, here's the thing. These were already disciples of John the Baptist. So, they had already demonstrated some degree of repentance, I would imagine, and some interest in spiritual things. But they still had a sense of there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more. Do you ever feel that way? There's got to be more to this life. Because everything this world offers, and we have a lot because we live in a prosperous nation. We live in the suburbs, most of us. We live in New England, which is a prosperous part of the country. We have a lot. And there's this deep, gnawing thing that no matter how much you have, even after your best vacation, even after you get that new car, you have this deep thing down inside you saying, there's got to be more to life than this. Because there is. There is more to life. And maybe their answer, a good answer that they could have given Jesus was when he said, what are you looking for? They could have said, we want more of life. We want, we want more. We, we want more purpose. We want more meaning. We want something that's going to make a difference. We don't want to just die in 40 or 50 years and, and, and have our life meaningless. We want to leave something behind. Maybe we want to leave a legacy. Maybe we want to be a blessing to the next generation. We want to do something with our lives. That would have been a good answer. What are you looking for? We're looking for purpose. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for hope. Right? Good answers. John's gospel actually spells out some reasons why we should follow Jesus. Jesus gave three characteristics that we should look for in our own lives as disciples, but also in those we're discipling. So when we ask the question, when Jesus asks the question, what are you looking for? We could answer it this way. I'm looking to live according to God's word. Because he says further on in this same gospel, If you continue in my word, then you really are my disciples. That's a good one. The next thing we could find in John 13, I'm looking to be more loving. Because Jesus himself said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if 
Let's all say that word together. If you love one another, everyone will know. So what are you looking for? I'm looking to be more loving. Good answer. Right? I feel like I'm on that show. You know, bad answer. You know, what is that show? Family Feud or something? Good answer. You know, 153 people said to be more loving. You know, like, whatever. Sorry. And lastly, of these three things, there's more, but just, just to get a, a flavor of what Jesus offers and what he is helping us to be as disciples, you could say, honestly, I'm looking to bear fruit. Like I said, to have meaning, to have purpose. I'm looking to live according to God's word. I'm looking to be more loving, and I'm looking to bear fruit. John, John 15, verse 8. My father's glorified by this. In other words, it blesses God. You know, we're supposed to be a blessing to God. He's always blessing us, but it's supposed to go both ways, right? We're supposed to be a blessing to him. And in order to bless the father, we produce fruit. And, and it actually says, you produce, what's the word there before fruit? What? Much fruit. That's good. That's good. So not a fruit. Because so fruit is one of those words, right? It can be singular. Have some fruit in your hand, someone a grape, you know. Or you got a big basket, you know, say, have some fruit, right? So he says, you're supposed to produce not a fruit, a single fruit, a little raisin. Here's my fruit, you know. No, you're supposed to produce much fruit. And that glorifies the Father. This proves, I love that word, this proves that you're my disciples. Woo! It's getting hot in here. Right? Okay, you know, because we call ourselves disciples way too easily, and I hope you're realizing that as we've gone through this series. This is a serious word, not to be taken lightly. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is a big deal. We shouldn't use that term lightly. So if disciples and disciples ma- disciple makers will consistently follow God's plan for discipleship laid out in his word, the church will expand exponentially. It will produce fruit. Because disciples teach others and then commission those others to teach others, and then they commission others to teach others. And so disciples are made through that process. Disciples must be equipped to pass on their faith. And this is something we need to work on, church. We got to figure out how do we pass this on? Because you know what? None of us are getting any younger. Pretty soon, you know, I'll be flying with the angels, right? So, so I want to produce much fruit. And in order to do that, I have to understand how to pass this faith on and make more disciples the father because the disciple makers work is not done until a disciple that they've made is then able to go and make more disciples it's not a dead-end street we are to be prosperous in spiritual things making disciples for our father so 
We often wrongly assume that Jesus' disciples were just these great men of faith that he picked, you know, first time out there, he picked the right team. Remember in junior high when you put all the kids on either side of the gym and you had to pick your teams? You know, I'll take her, I'll take Susie, I'll take Jim. You know, all the, all the good athletes got picked first. And then <laughs> you were like me, like the last one picked, you know. Like, you know. Jesus picked the last ones. And made them into his power team, right? But it took time. I'll say that again. It took time. Time is our most valuable resource. Our most valuable resource. They had to take time to be with Jesus in order to be transformed into the power team that they became. They also needed the Holy Spirit, which comes later. But even before that, he breathed on them. They had the Spirit right there with him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the same thing, so they had the Spirit with them to help them. Their period of time was three years. Three years of intentional, relational discipleship. You heard that a few weeks ago. I'm going to keep using that phrase. Because it's intentional, and it's relational, and it's discipleship. Three years, they sacrificed their agenda to find out what Jesus' agenda was. They sacrificed their plans to find out what Jesus' plan was. It's a big deal. That's why discipleship can't be taken lightly. They sacrificed their busyness to make room to be with Jesus. Disciples cannot be too busy to be with Jesus. Cannot. If you're too busy to be with Jesus, I think you might not be a disciple. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be loving. I'm trying to show you the way. You gotta let go of your busyness to be with Jesus, so that by being with Jesus, you can be transformed by the work of God to be a disciple who makes disciples. Because Jesus initiated a whole new lifestyle, a discipleship lifestyle. Now, let's talk about lifestyles for a minute. We've all learned a thing or two about dieting and exercise. Unless you make lifestyle changes, it doesn't matter how much lettuce you eat or how many miles you run. If you then go back to your old lifestyle, what comes back? All that fat you got rid of, right? It comes back because your lifestyle didn't change. So if, if you say, like, I'm going to go on a diet this month, and you diet, and you're just great on your diet. Every day you get up and you go for a run. Every day you eat green stuff until it's coming out your ears. You're just you're going crazy for 30 days. And after that 30 days are done, you go back to eating a dozen donuts every morning. You put extra sugars in your coffee. You start laying around and going through Netflix instead of getting up and moving your body. If you go back to your old lifestyle, guess what? You're going to look like the old you. You don't look like the new you no more, 
right? It's a cycle, and God shows us even in the physical how important it is that our lifestyle changes to be disciples. You don't just be a disciple for a week or a month or even a year. You're going to be a disciple in your lifestyle for the rest of your days. That is what he's looking for. That is who he's calling to be his disciples. Because unless we change our lifestyle permanently, we'll go back to that old life. There's some things about that old life that were fun, quote unquote, enjoyable, right? We all love donuts. Who doesn't love donuts, especially when they just come off the conveyor belt? Mmm, I could eat 20, right? I don't love what donuts do to me, but I love them going in, right? It tastes good. All of us have done this. We've attempted this with our New Year's resolutions. We've tried to change ourselves by doing new things and stop doing other things. But the issue is it's not about that. It's about being with Jesus. Being with him will change us. I looked into this, this idea of changing your lifestyle. I, I, I looked into this this week. And the American Psychological Association, there's this great quote. I only give you a little bit of it. But this great quote, I want you to understand, even those who aren't trying to be biblical, because it's truth, they speak truth. So listen to these words. Making a lifestyle change is very challenging. This is from their, their uh, material. Especially when you want to transform many things at the same time. So, careful planning will help you. Doing research will help you. Do your research, make a plan, and that will prepare you for success. Careful planning means setting small goals and taking things one step at a time. One step at a time. What are you looking for? Where are you staying? I'll stay with you this, today. You know, like to, let, let, me, let me spend some time with Jesus. Let me spend some time with Jesus. We know that God is a God of miracles. Jesus could have miraculously taken these, these 12 jabonis, right? He could have taken these guys and just said, like, you know what? Let me say a little prayer. God, make them perfect instantly. And then go if that was God's will, he would have made them perfect instantly. They would have been perfectly knowledgeable. They would have been perfectly bold. They would have been perfect in all their relationships so that more and more people... God didn't do that. God could have done that. He could have just snapped his fingers. Guess what? I need you to be perfect. Bam! Right? He can. He does not. There is a process that he wants us to go through, a spiritual cleansing that he wants us to go through. He wants us to understand what it takes to be completely abiding in him, dependent on him in every way. That it's not us, it's him in us that makes all the difference. So once you're ready to make a change, the difficult part is committing and following through with that change. See those yummy donuts? Uh, th- that's a quote from the American Psychological Association. Right? The difficult part is committing and following through, isn't it? I mean, raise your hand if you agree. Let's do a survey. It's true, right? 
Easy to make a decision in the moment, in the emotion, in the excitement or whatever. Hard to follow that through. This is why they make a man and a woman stand in front of a whole crowd of people and make a vow. In good times and in bad. In sickness and in health. Make a vow because there's going to be bad times and there's going to be some sickness and there's going to be, is it poverty? And I should know I do a lot of weddings, right? <laughs> Riches and in po- poverty or whatever, you know. In all of these situations, we vow, we will be committed to love one another. So we make a man and a woman do that in a marriage ceremony. How much more Jesus and his disciples? When it gets hard, keep following. When you're tired, keep following. When you want to give up, keep following. When you're feeling discouraged, keep following. When you feel like nobody appreciates you, keep following. When someone in the church gives you an ugly look, keep following. Always keep following Jesus. Don't give up. The world is full of a bunch of people who were Christians who are now unchurched because they gave up. They're like, I'm not doing that no more. I don't like those people. They're rude. They're ugly. I'm not going, right? But how are they going to follow Jesus? Well, you can do that by yourself. No, you can't. You cannot. Jesus had 12. The 12 became 120. 120 became thousands, right? You don't do it alone. That's some kind of, I don't know, weirdo Eastern thing where you're, oh, let me empty myself and be, no, no. that's not Christianity. Christianity is like, love one another. How am I going to do that if I don't have another, right? If I don't have another person, how am I going to love them? Even when they're nasty, how am I going to love them, right? You see, Jesus wants to make disciples in his own image. He stuck with those disciples in good times and bad. He didn't abandon them. He said, when he was ready for his ascension, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not. I will not. That is the heart of Jesus. So, back to our passage in verse 39, after they ask where you're going to stay, he says, come and you'll see. It's the invitation of Jesus. Come and you'll see. You'll see where I'm going, right? When he asked them, what are you looking for? Andrew and John responded saying, where are you staying? It's, it's that crazy response that sometimes we have. We don't know what to say. We've all experienced enough failure and disappointment and broken promises and broken relationships. We've all you know, had jobs we hated. We've all been in situations where we felt insecure. We didn't feel safe or whatever. They were looking for a place with God. They were looking for a dwelling place, a safe place. And when Jesus says, what are you looking for? That penetrating question catches us off guard. But we need to answer it. Jesus knows what we're looking for. He created us. He will provide exactly what we need. He knows what we need even before we ask it. Crazy, huh? But he still wants us to ask. He still wants that relationship with us. You see, he knows what will make your life worth living. He knows what will make your life an abundant life, according to his definition of abundance. He knows all these things, and he wants to provide them, but he does it through your relationship with him. Not through having you jump through hoops. He does it through you spending time with him. 
So as disciples and as disciple makers, we must be willing to ask ourselves and help others also ask and investigate everything that Jesus claimed to be, everything that he promised to do. When he says, come and you'll see, he wants us to come to him. So we will see. If you go in another direction, you're not going to see. If you stay on your couch, you're not going to see. If you come with him, you'll see. That is the key to discipleship, right? I love the key, you know. This is the key. This will open up your understanding. Coming with Jesus. You see, we must understand and correct any misunderstanding that coming to Christ is just a sudden one-time decision to accept him as Lord and Savior. Like one day at the altar or one day at camp or one day with a friend. Now you've come to Jesus and then your life doesn't change. And then people say, well, I tried Christianity. It didn't work. Did you follow Jesus every day? Did you spend time with Jesus? Did you listen to his words? Did you try to put them into practice? Those are the questions that come when someone says, oh, I tried that Christianity thing. It didn't work. Nothing changed. Did you follow him? Did you spend time with him? Did you let him influence you? Or did you do this? Jesus, nice to meet you. Why don't you, Jesus, come with me? I got a lot to do. Come on. You know, you ever see that there was... When I was a kid, there was a little bumper sticker. It said, like, Jesus, don't blame me. Like, Jesus is my co-pilot or something weird like that. And I was like, co-pilot? What do you mean? Like, he's in the passenger seat and you're the one driving? Hello? You're going to go right off a cliff with that philosophy. He should be driving. You're going with him. You're his passenger. What are you talking about? You know, but we get, we, we get mixed up, you know, like, oh, I got plans. I got stuff I got to do. I got an education. I got a business to run. I got, you know, all this stuff I have to do. Jesus, come with me. What? You don't know Jesus. Jesus says, no, you come with me. You follow me. I'll give you living water. I'll show you where life is. I'll give you a purpose and meaning. I'll heal your wounds. I'll change your relationships. I'll do all kinds of stuff, but you have to come with me. I'm no errand boy for you. You get that, right? Praise God. Praise God. I got a church of people, church full of people who get that. You get that because you can get the wrong idea. You listen to too many teachers out there. You'll get the wrong idea. The idea is, ooh, wouldn't it be good to have Jesus doing what I tell him to do? You've heard it. We don't need to go there. Y'all know about that. Our schedules, our activities, our plans look like this. And if yours looks like mine, you better make room for Jesus. You better ask him what his calendar is, what's his agenda, what's his plan. And then if it doesn't fit in here, scrap this and go with him. That is the way of discipleship. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. 
Through what? Through following him, through being with him, through making yourself available to him, through giving and sacrificing to him and to him alone. You see, being a disciple is going with Jesus, not asking him to go with you. So to come and see means that we are following Jesus, going where he goes, doing what he did and is still doing, bringing the lost to the Father, bringing home those who are lost, those who need a home, those who need to understand that there's more to life than just this life, knowing him, loving him, wanting to be with him. If your heart doesn't beat that way, ask him to give you that kind of heart. Give up all your addictions and all your other stuff. It's worth it. Eternal life is worth it. Eternal death is not worth it. Those are the options. You don't get another choice. So that's what the original disciples did. And their lives changed. And then their lives changed other people's lives. And then their lives changed other people's lives. And on and on and on till today. You were influenced by somebody. Somebody discipled you. You should thank God for that person. You should praise God that whoever that was, if it was your parents, if it was a counselor, if it was a teacher, if it was a friend, that they were bold enough to share Christ with you and that your heart was ready to receive that and begin following him. Praise God, we're here today. Discipleship didn't stop on the earth because it's God's will. It's God's desire to make disciples of all people. Do you believe that? Ask God to give you his heart for people, for Jesus, and then for people. Because Jesus' heart beats for people. These 12 They saw all kinds of stuff because they went to be with Jesus. They followed him for those three three years. They saw the blind see. They saw the lame walk. They saw the dead raised. They they, They saw the deaf hear again. They saw demons flee at the name of Jesus. They saw it all as the gospel was being preached to the poor. And because of that, even when they were beaten, even when they were arrested, They could not stop talking about Jesus. Slide. Acts 4. There we go. Nope, keep going. There we go. Remember when we studied the book of Acts? You do remember, right? We did it for months and months and months. But in Acts 4, and all throughout the book of Acts, I mean, these disciples, these guys, they were like Olympic athletes for God, right? They would not give up. And they were beaten and they were imprisoned and they were threatened. And their quote is, we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. That is the heart of a disciple. So some of us need to get our hearts right because our hearts have been wandering. Our hearts have been out of focus. We got we got to get back back in the center there that that Christ is the center of our lives that he sets our agenda that he gives us purpose and meaning. We're not looking for it somewhere else. We're not drinking from other wells. We want to drink from the living well. 
the living water. Because it's the only thing that can quench our thirst. To be his disciples is to be with him and, and, and to be hearing from him and to be in his word and to be praying and to be processing through life with Christ. Not letting your problems beat you up and then you stay down. Don't stay down. If you're down because life's been rough, get some friends around you, pray and get back up. Get back up like Paul did. He didn't stay down there. He got back up and he continued to preach. Don't stay there like, you know, don't stay down. Peter and John, they got back up. They were in prison. They started singing hymns. God sends an earthquake. The prison opens. You know, I mean, God can do anything if our hearts are on him. But if our hearts are adulterous, that's what he calls it. I, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. Adulterous, right? If we have other things that are taking over our heart and our mind and our desires, and he doesn't bless that. That's not a fruitful life. He blesses us when we follow him, when we make Jesus the, the focal point of our lives. And then we, we ask God to give us a heart like Jesus, and then we see how much Jesus loved the broken, how much he loved those who were beaten up in life, that he'd go to them and he would draw them to the Father, draw them to healing, draw them to hope, the heart of a disciple is that there's hurting people all around us and they need to know Jesus we need to know him first and foremost amen let's pray Father God as we sing this song Lord we don't want the words to get in the way Lord let your spirit work in our hearts each one of us individually because you know us you know all of us by name we want our hearts to to be changed so that we are fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Not disciples one day a week, but the disciples as a whole lifestyle. That our lives be changed and transformed so that we continue to do the work that you called us to do. To be laborers in the field for you. To bring in the harvest for you and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.